Hello, this is Mane Ramos, your host of Rise Up, Real Issues and Stories of Every One of Us podcast. But first, let me introduce myself. I'm Mane Ramos, a board member of PNAA, a past president of the Philippine Nurses Association of Central Florida. I'm a professor of nursing at Valencia College and an adjunct faculty at William Patterson University. Our guest today is Dr. Kareem Watson, who's the Chief Engagement Officer of the National Institutes of Health, All of Us Research Program. Dr. Watson leads the All of Us Research Program's effort to foster relationship with partner uh, with participants, communities, researchers, and providers across the United States to help build one of the largest, most diverse health databases of its kind to study health and illness. Prior to joining the NIH, Dr. Watson spent over 15 years as a community-engaged research scientist with prior research funding from the NIH addressing cancer prevention research. Um, And Dr. Watson uh, also held administrative roles in leading research and engagement in federally qualified health centers in the Chicagoland area. Dr. Watson, welcome. Thank you, Manny. Glad to be here. Thank you, sir. And this is uh, our uh, second part to be with uh, Dr. Watson. We had an episode before and we are here and we're glad that you could engage us again, Dr. Watson. Thank you for having me back. So um, I'd like to ask, um, you know, continuing for our conversation from the last time, uh, what would a research participant expect if they volunteered for the All of Us research? The great question, Manny. So what a research participant can expect if they volunteer for the All of Us Research Program is one of the things we like to tell our participants and our community members and our stakeholders is, is first that the All of Us Research Program is a little different than other research programs that people have probably heard of historically and traditionally. Typically, for example, as a cancer disparities researcher, when I ask community members or participants to join the study, I'm, or I'm usually asking them to help me address some type of research question I'm asking. For example, my research is often trying to understand how can we develop better screening programs for certain types of cancers? Mm -hmm. What are some of the barriers that people face in getting screened for certain types of cancers? So typically, Manny, I had a specific research question that I was trying to address in my research. And that may be what a lot of people think about when they think of the All of Us research program. But what we're doing is really different and really innovative and really important because we're building one of the nation's most diverse, largest data sets. So when participants, when people volunteer to join our study, what they can expect is that they may not be asked to they asked to enroll because we're trying to address a research question. What we're trying to do is collect information from a large, diverse set of people so that other researchers can ask questions that can drive how we're able to better prevent illness, better come up with better treatments, and to even understand earlier diagnosis from an individualized perspective. So in a nutshell, Manny, what they can expect is that they'll go through the traditional consent form process. One of the things that we love is that there's not just a, the informed consent form is a part of a larger process. That means that that participant, they can expect to learn about the risk and or the benefits um, of participating in, in the All of Us Research Program. They will learn about what is going to be asked of them. They will learn about what type of commitment they'll have to have in order to be a part of this study. They'll, they'll learn about what we would ask them to do in terms of donating certain biospecimens, whether that be saliva, or Mm -hmm. urine or blood, 
We'll ask them to donate some physical measurements, such as things as tell us about their height, their weight, even things like waist circumference. We'll also ask them to give us access to their electronic health records. And we do that in a way that is so secure, Manny, and so safe because safety and privacy is of the utmost for us. But we also ask participants to complete surveys to complete surveys such as things on family history, surveys on such things as social determinants of health, mm-hmm. surveys on their experiences, for example, with the COVID-19 pandemic. And the reason I know these things so well, Manny, is not just because I work for the All of Us Research Program, but also because I'm a participant. So uh-huh. I get the luxury of both knowing what we ask because I was asked those same questions. Great, great. And and you talked about all of this information that you all gather. Now, uh, research participants are usually concerned about the privacy of information. How will the participants' information be handled in this research? That's a great question, Manny. And we've recently partnered with the University of Utah so that your listeners can actually go to our, our All of Us Research Program YouTube site and they can actually find out about how we as a program work to keep their data safe. And this is a great video that the University of Utah helped us to develop. First and foremost, our participants need to know that once you volunteer, volunteer your information and enroll in the All of Us Research Program, we have the utmost measures to keep your information safe and secure. One of the first ways people need to know is that outside of a very limited number of people who will not be able to connect your name to the information mm-hmm. that you collect that, that's collected. So what we call that in the research world, Manny, is de-identified. Okay. That means that people, not that people are a number, but when you enroll in the study, you will be assigned a, a number. And so that number will become how you're referenced, not by your name, or not by anything that could allow someone to know that, oh, this must be Kareem who enrolled in this study. No, I'm given a number just like any other participants. And then that that we call that Mm de-identified. And not only is that data de-identified, but it's stored on a secure platform that allows us to take that information and and connect it to other aspects of the surveys and other information that that participant completes. But the other thing that people can be sure of, Manny, is that we actually have what's called a certificate of confidentiality. Mm -hmm. What that means is that we're very fortunate in that this allows us to help protect our participants from things like subpoena, things like like law enforcement and other agencies who sometimes may want to know about people enrolled in the study. We have a certificate of confidentiality that works to mitigate those issues and really keep our participants safe, the data safe rather. So a while ago, you mentioned about uh, the data that you will be collecting will eventually be useful also to other uh, researchers. Um, Do we have an idea yet of uh, potentially uh, who, who could have access to this research data? It's available right now, Manny. I'm so glad you asked that. So we have what's called the All of Us Research Program Researcher Workbench. That researcher workbench allows researchers right now to go through it. First, I want to talk about what the different types of of tiers that we have to get access to our data. One tier we have, Manny, is actually a public tier. And Mm -hmm. I love this tier. As a former faculty member in a school of public health, a former um, researcher, Uh not former, I'm still a researcher, but as a former teacher, I love the fact that our data can be used to help teach students and faculty about big 
big data sets. Uh -huh. So what I mean by that is that there's publicly available data right now that you can, anyone can go onto the All of Us research program to researchallofus.org and see what we call the publicly available data by looking at the data browser. That publicly available data, Manny, doesn't, of course, like none of our data will tell you anything about one participant, but it tells you characteristics of our population. It tells you how many people are enrolled in the All of Us study. If you're a researcher and you wanted to know how many people do we have enrolled in the All of Us research program that suffer from asthma, you can type in asthma in the search box and it will let you know that X number of participants have asthma that are enrolled in the All of Us research program. If you want to know how many men versus women we have enrolled in the program, you get that information. And so it gives you what's a, a, a large, we call it a data snapshot. Mm -hmm. It gives anyone who wants to go on that has access to the internet and give them what's called a publicly available data snapshot. That's all available in the, for the public and can be a great research tool and even a great teaching tool. And that's available right now, Manny. But we have another level of security that's called the register tier. Now at that register tier, this is where researchers must A, ensure that the institution or the organization that they work with has an agreement in place with the All of Us Research Program called okay. a DURA, a Data Use Research Agreement. That DURA allows, that means that between the All of Us Research Program and that institution or that organization, that there's an agreement mm -hmm. that individuals who represent your organization or your institution will abide by ethical conducts and certain principles of ethics when they're conducting research with our data using uh, on our work on our cloud that in addition to that registration in addition to having a dura in place manny that researcher must go through a series of trainings where okay. they must watch a series of videos where they learn about mm -hmm. medical mistrust they learn about historical things that have happened to certain minority and racial ethnic communities in, in, in research. They learn about historical inequities like the United States Public Health Service study that happened in Tuskegee, Alabama. Mm -hmm. they, they hear about the Belmont Report. They hear about beneficence and they hear about things that are in place that allows us to ensure that research is conducted with, at the highest level of ethical standards. And that's at the register tier. And the data that's available at that register tier, Manny, includes personal, I mean, it includes information that's been de-identified again, but this is where you can really understand the population we have. You can learn about race and ethnicities, what populations are enrolled, how many, for example, a researcher can go into the register tier to find out about how many women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer actually received a mammogram in a timely way by connecting that to their electronic health records. You could also find out about those women who maybe have been diagnosed with breast cancer who has completed the social terms of health form who feel that they have food insecurity and you can make that research question or women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer who didn't receive timely treatment all these questions can be developed by utilizing our researcher workbench on the register tier but then there's a third level of data manny called the control tier and if you go to researchers who want to use the control tier must go through another set of training that talks about the responsible conduct of information specifically dealing with the genetic data. At the control tier, in addition to the data that you get from people's electronic health records, survey data, physical measurements, and biospecimens, you also get genetic information. This is where you get the information wow. about people's genome, the whole genome sequence of participants. You also get more detailed electronic health record information at the control tier, and you can get information on three-digit zip codes. 
So those are the three different levels. And that avail- that information is available, like I said, at the public tier, then at the register tier and at the control tier. Okay, two questions, Dr. Watson. So for the public tier, um, remind our listeners uh, which website they, they can access this data. It's researchallofus.org. Again, that's researchallofus.org to get access to that public that public tier data. Okay, and the second and, question. Oh, go ahead, Dr. Watson. Or if they just want to learn about the All of Us Research Program, they can always just go to all of us, uh, allofus.org to learn more about the All of Us Research Program. Right, great. And for the controlled uh, tier and the registered tier, um, this is open uh, for participation by uh, any type of research institution, public or private? Public or private. But like I said, Manny, they do have to have in place that agreement. And it's it's pretty user friendly to get the agreement in place. If your institution Mm -hmm. does not have a a research agreement in place with the All of Us Research Program, we have a, a help center that can help that institution get that agreement in place. Okay. Now, um, how long do, do we have a, a data, a, a date rather that are set for how long the implementation period for the All of Us research is? Our goal, Manny, that's a great question. So when we think about the how long the All of Us research program is, one of the things we say, and, and I should have described this at the beginning, is that also, unlike some research programs that are looking at asking question A, you know, over a two-year period or looking at following people over a period of time, the All of Us program is looking to collect information from a million or more people. And we're saying over a decade, but our hope is that it goes beyond even 10 years or more because wow. it's so important for us to understand how the information that we collect, how that information may change as someone ages, they as they grow, and even as they move, because we understand that the environment matters. And during our last podcast, we talked about that thing called the ZNA. Remember that, Manny? Right, that right. that zip code that right. where you lives can where you live can have an impact on your health. The yes. ZNA, and so with that. We want to know if people move, they move from one neighborhood to another neighborhood. Does that change their access to healthy foods? Does that change their access to healthcare mm-hmm. utilization? And so that's why it's so important that our program is a longitudinal program that follows people over a course of period of time, of a minimum of 10 years or more is what we're striving for, Manny. So for our listeners, Dr. Watson, who has just joined us, um, may, may you please remind them how long has, uh, have we implemented the All of Us Research Program? Yeah, the, the All of Us Research Program is, is in, it's going into its fifth year. So we've been doing the program for about five years now, and we're almost at that halfway mark of people who began their journey with us. Yeah. Great, great, great. And the data that is shared to... Excuse me. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And and for the data that is being shared or available to the public, uh, how often is that updated? That's a great question, Manny. It's updated at least um, some aspect of that data that's shared with the public. It's updated at least on a quarterly basis at at the very least and how that information is updated. You started to talk about the importance of this All of Us research program during our first episode, and I'd like to make a follow-up question about that. Uh, What will be the impact of the research findings from the All of Us research? 
Well, like I said before, Manny, the, the beauty, the beautiful thing, and I think the, the innovative thing about the All of Us Research Program is, and it's also important for our listeners to know that the funding and support for the All of Us Research Program that's provided by the NIH, the National Institute of Health, actually is a part of the Precision Medicine Initiative that was initiated in, in 2015, 2016. And within that Precision Medicine Initiative, what is really trying to do is address the fact that this concept of a one-size-fits-all approach to medicine, care, treatment, and prevention is not work, right? Right. We know that people's, you know, social economic status, people's education status, where you live, you know, family history, even your genome can impact how you metabolize certain drugs, how you side effects you may have to certain drugs. So in this concept of individualized medicine or precision medicine, we hope the reason why this research is so important is because researchers that want to know about someone's both genetic makeup that may put them at elevated risk for heart disease can, can, can study that in a way that also allows them to understand how someone's social environment may, may work alongside that genetic or that genomic factor, that family history risk factor that that person can have. And the other reason why our program is so important, Manny, of many reasons, but it's because of the diversity. Historically and traditionally, underrepresented populations, particularly those of racial ethnic minorities, have not been included in genomic research. Yeah. When you think about inclusion of populations, they definitely don't include, um, I shouldn't say don't include, but there's often a, a lack of representation, is a better way to say that, of, of certain populations in research. And so through our community engagement efforts, we have worked tirelessly to ensure that populations who have been historically underrepresented in research mm -hmm. actually are engaged in the All of Us research program. And we've been able to do that in, in large part through amazing partners like those of us that we have with the Asian Health Coalition, who is actually one of the partners that got us here today. Right. So um, for this uh, All of Us research program, Dr. Watson, um, which parts of the United States is it currently being implemented? So that's a great question, Manny. So the, the right now, I'm proud to say that we have at least one participant from almost every state across wow. the U.S. So we can say that in the entire, almost every state and, and is represented in the, in the All of Us Research Program. But we do have particular sites that are enrollment centers that are located across the country mm -hmm. in certain populations. But those enrollment centers um, are located in, with, through our HPOs, our health providers organizations, and our research medical centers um, that are in are all across the U.S. in places like states like Illinois, um, Wisconsin, New York, California, Texas, Georgia, all over, you know, really. But we do have some areas in the in the in the middle America that we have to do more work to get more more sites in those areas. But what I love, man, is that in areas that we don't have our enrollment partners, meaning our, our brick and mortar buildings where mm -hmm. people can go and sign up and sign for the All of Us Research Program, you can learn more about the All of Us Research Program by going to allofus.nih.gov to find out how you could sign up and join as a direct volunteer, mean that you could sign up through the internet, get access to it, and even find out ways you can donate your your, your bloods, I mean your saliva samples mm -hmm. as part of that 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 biospecimen collection, and that's one way we we address the fact that we're not. We don't have enrollment sites in every 50 states. The, another way we can we do this is through this innovative 
tool called the Mobile Engagement Asset, Manny. And what the Mobile Engagement Asset is, believe it or not, it's a mobile home that travels across the U.S., working with our community partners. And those community partners who have trusted relationships in the community can go out and let let community members know, get them excited about an awareness of the All of Us Research Program. And then that 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 mobile engagement asset, that mobile home is parked in places where it's visible and people can come in and learn about the program and even sign up for the program and donate biospecimens for the program as well. So even if there's not a enrollment center to where people live, um, they could still participate in this research program. That's correct. Program. That's okay. right. Through our direct volunteer site. Right. And then you talked about a uh, mobile engagement asset. So I'm thinking these are like trucks that um, travel around the country? Yeah, we have right right now, we, we used to have two. We have one that goes all around the country and there's a schedule of where that mobile engagement, that asset will be and it uh -huh. lets you know where it's going to be. For example, it was in the, the Virginia, Maryland area um, uh -huh. a, a couple months, last month and our team was so excited because they uh -huh. got a chance to go engage with the community see people there and, uh -huh. and talk to them about it. And it's just so exciting and, and invigorating and energizing, man, especially when so much has happened because of the pandemic where we've had to rightfully so social distance. And the fact that we now can, in a safe way, have that mobile engagement asset has been wonderful. Another thing about the mobile engagement asset is that we've thought about those populations who may be living with disabilities, mm, who, yes. who, have, who have to access that, 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 that mobile home. And we work with the American Association of Health and Disability to ensure that that mobile home, that mobile engagement asset is equipped with tools that people who may be living with disabilities are able to still partake in the program and participate. Okay. So I'm assuming that the uh, schedule of this mobile engagement asset is published in the website. So it is. Yes, it okay. is. Okay. And then for those that have uh, participated remotely, for example, um, uh, is it ever a challenge to you know, continue to, let's say there's follow-up um, activities that they need to do? Is that ever a challenge? Well, I, I would say follow-up is always a challenge, um, okay. Manny, because people's lives are so busy, particularly right. in this day and age. In the midst of the pandemic, people have a lot of things pulling at them. And so right now, the way, we have two major ways that people can complete their follow-up. Mm -hmm. They can either go into one of the enrollment centers that they, that they enrolled in, they can do follow-up that way, or they can do it online, which is the most way through like an email survey or, or okay. something. Or the other way, the third way, I said two, actually three, is through a telephone assistant manner. Okay. Because of the pandemic, we actually had to move to a way that we were able to engage with our participants when they couldn't come in on site. And so one of those ways is through, you know, a telephone assistance program that allows people to complete those surveys. And we have been able to keep people retained and engaged through those 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 mechanisms, Manny. But we, that's one area that we have to still do a lot more work in is to keep people engaged. We've done an amazing job of getting people enrolled. Now, the next one part of our journey is to keep people, get more people enrolled, keep those who have enrolled engaged and get more people enrolled. 
for someone like me, a minority, a Filipino-American, uh, wherein there's really not a lot of data about our population group, um, and I'd be interested perhaps to participate in this program. So all I got to do is go to that website and and initiate contact, I guess, or, or volunteer. Yeah, for you, Manny, to be, you'll be going to joinallofus.org. That's www.joinallofus.org. Mm-hmm. Join and when us. you go to that joinallofus.org site, I hope you find it that it'll be user-friendly and it'll walk you through the steps. But in the event, Manny, when you go to joinallofus.org, if you find out that this is not as user-friendly as Kareem said it would, there's actually a phone <laughs> number you can call to get some assistance on how to be walked through that process. Is the All of Us Research Program uh, being published in social media? Media. It, it, it is. We do have some social media publish, publishing of the program. We have we're out there. We have an amazing communications team um, led by Alyssa Kotler that is out there. They're doing so much. I see them on different social media sites. Um, they're out there. They're you know, there's Twitter accounts and, and other accounts. I don't know if I'm able to say names of accounts, but they're out there in social okay. media. <laughs> great, great. That is great to know. Very good to know. Now, um, the program has been, uh, you know, in implementation for five years now. Um, what can you share to us? Uh, anything that uh, has significantly been the outcome, I guess, from uh, in its first uh, five years of implementation? Yeah, Manny, one of the things I think that has been the great outcome is is the fact that we've been able to achieve this unprecedented number of diversity, equity, and inclusion in terms of our enrollment numbers. We're at over 477,000 people, wow. participants who have started their journey with us. And of those 477,000 plus who started their journey with us, over 350,000 of those have completed all the baseline information. Those have completed the appropriate surveys to be what we call like a core participant. Yeah. And of those numbers, Manny, we are so proud that over over 80% enrolled to date are what we call underrepresented in biomedical research. That means they may be racial ethnic minorities and uh-huh. 50% of our participants are actually racial ethnic minorities. That's and, um, that, that's, and it's been through intentional community engagement efforts and trusted relationship with our partners. And you talked earlier about, you know, Asian Americans and mm-hmm. not, you know, you, you know, the importance of diversity in clinical trials. Right. One of the challenges, and I know, you know, the PNNA, PNAA works hard on this, is to ensure that we don't just lump mm-hmm. all Asian Americans right. and Pacific Islands into one category because we know there's so much diversity and heterogeneity that yes. exists both culturally as well as probably from a genomic perspective. And so we're very proud as a program when participants self-identify as if they identify as being Asian American, then we ask them, please, to specify your particular ethnicity and or culture, yes. because it's so important to understand the experience of Filipino Americans in the study, the experience of Chinese, Korean and, and, and other populations in the study, because those experiences, Manny, may be different. And those differences can really help us understand how one population may be impacted differently by, by a condition and or an experience. That is very exciting to find out, uh, Dr. Watson, that there is actually a very diverse um, sampling of, of the different uh, population groups in this research. Um, so with the data that you all have collected by far in, in the last five years, um, 
has there been, uh, I'm sure there's been a lot of, you know, research going on uh, based from the da data that you've collected. Um, has any one of them published yet? Uh oh, it's tons. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of studies published, Manny, on, our, on okay. our findings. And so, but like I said, remember, our research program is so unique in that it's not asking a specific question. So we could say, because of all of us, we've been able to determine this, but it's because of the researchers. For example, some amazing studies that have been published out there is that there's one study that was led by Dr. Baxter, an uh, ophthalmologist. She studies the impact of glaucoma. Glaucoma uh -huh. is one of the leading causes of blindness, right. particularly in racial ethnic minorities. And Dr. Baxter knew that there were certain things like adherence to certain medications or the lack thereof that may impact certain communities and their increased level of glaucoma that leads to blindness. But because data sets historically have been too small mm -hmm. and not diverse enough, Dr. Baxter knew this in theory, but she wasn't able to really use, have the evidence to support that. Well, because of the All of Us Research Program, she's been able to show that medication adherence or not having access to the appropriate medications can lead to untreated glaucoma and lead to blindness in high-risk populations. She's also been able to do things like artificial intelligence and being able to develop what we call algorithms to be able to tell her that there's certain ways, there's information that you can collect from the electronic health record that can tell you which populations are at higher risk mm -hmm. of glaucoma, of blindness than others. And, and then there's even been studies on hypertension, right? Yes. One researcher was able to validate a large hypertension study. And she was able to say that the ranges of hypertension, high blood pressure that she's seen in our study align with these larger others, these, these, this another really pivotal study. So that means that the All of Us Research Program database can be a, a database that can be used to validate hypertensive studies in a large way. That's amazing, right? And so there's more because the size of our database, we're seeing some amazing findings come out from researchers, that, from the research question that they're asking. That's great news. That's great news, Dr. Watson. Now, um, I'm, I'm so glad that you're getting a, a, a fair representation uh, or, or very diverse population group in, in, in your sampling. Now, uh, do we know yet if there's still some population groups that perhaps we need more representation from? 100% we know. And again, I, I can't say how important our partnership is with the Asian Health Coalition because because the leadership of Vanessa Rand and Dr. Karen Kim, we know that that's one area, Manny, that we need to do a lot better in. Okay. Um, we've, we've done great in increasing awareness, but we have to do more to put ourselves out there and to really embed ourselves within certain Asian American communities so that we can increase access and awareness and ultimately participation. Um, like I said, it's great that we can collect information and be able to disaggregate that information out mm -hmm. about ethnicities, but we need to, we still have to do more work in that area. And we're, we're actively doing that. Same with American Indian and Alaska Native populations. Those are areas that we need to do more engagement and work in, even Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander communities as well. Right, 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 right. So if um, for someone perhaps who's, uh, you know, not sure about participating about this um, research program, um, and if they ask, um, why should I participate? How do we answer that question? I'm asked that question a lot, Manny. And yeah. one of the reasons I say is that we all know, and I, I, I start by very simple and I say, you know what? 
representation matters. And I think we all are getting to agree with that, right? That representation, we all understand the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion and how important they are. We, We know that when you have different thought leaders at the table, different ideas that you're able to speed up innovation and have things that are come up with innovative approaches and solutions to things. It's the same with science. We know that there's not a one size fits all approach to research. And historically, unfortunately, most research has been conducted, particularly genomics research, has been over 78 percent inclusion inclusive of European and white populations. That means that as treatments are developed, as diagnoses are are developed, you know, as as research is conducted, those findings are may not always be as generalizable to other populations, yes. right? We we need to better understand how one's and race uh, one's ethnicity and genomic and ancestry can inform how they may react to a certain medication. We know that by nature, race is a social construct, right? Many of us, we, we know that, but it's because it's a self-identified thing, it still may be important into how certain communities may engage in research. So when I when people ask me, why should I participate in the All of Us Research Program? I answer them and say, Manny, because we cannot afford for you not to. When populations who are diverse don't participate in research, we get research findings and development of interventions that may not be generalizable to the populations that carry the greatest burden of disease. One example I like to tell Manny is that when I, as a cancer disparities researcher, I was doing research in the area of lung cancer prevention and screening. And there was a large study that led to an amazing innovation in lung cancer screening that actually resulted in a 20 percent decline in deaths due to lung cancer. That screening modality is called a low dose CT um, and low dose uh, computer tomography screening of the the chest to see if someone has lung cancer or or markers that tumors that may indicate lung cancer. When that study was done, this is a pivotal study that had over 53,000 participants. Although African-American men particularly carry one of the highest death rates or mortality rates from lung cancer, Manny, only 4.5% of African-Americans participated in that study. So from that study, which was amazing and was was an amazing step forward in science, but was that step forward uh, generalizable to everyone. Because from that study, we learned about new guidelines for lung cancer screening. Well, when I took those guidelines back to our clinic, the, the clinicians I work with, they said, Kareem, these, these, our patients smoke differently. Mm-hmm. You know, we have different set of parameters to think about. The study was an amazing study. They did exactly what they were supposed to do, but because we didn't have enough diversity we now have to think about ways to ensure that populations that are historically underrepresented research have a seat at the table. So I answer that by saying, Manny, that we have to have a seat at the table, not just as the research participants, but also as the researchers, as the one asking the questions. That That is great. That's, that's great to know. Now, Dr. Watson, um, you, you know, you talked about these mobile engagement assets. Now, um, and, and of course, that would be very, very helpful to reach, um, you know, the the other um, participants or potential participants for this research. But my question now is about those who may have uh, language barriers, wherein uh, English could be their second language, uh, and and perhaps that is a hesitation for them to participate. Uh, what would you say to them? 
It's a huge hesitation and it's something we have to acknowledge, right, Manny, because we know that language and what we call cultural sensitivity is so important. What I would say to them is that right now we have the ability for people who are Spanish speaking, many of our forms are translated into Spanish, but we know we need to do more. And so we're working with our partners from the Asian Health Coalition and others to think about several things. One Despite language, we need to think about our staff and our teams, because we know that when you have research teams that are reflective of the population, people can have a better experience and can you can easily build more easily build those bridges of trust. That's one thing is that we have to have a staff that represents the populations we serve. And then we have to work with our community partners, our national community partners and our community partner and gateway initiative partners to think about how can we facilitate an experience for participants where if we don't have things translated in that participant's language, how can we ensure that there's staff and team members to walk them through that process in a way that is ethical and that allows them to have an, a, a robust experience? Thank you, Dr. Watson. Um, I have another question. Uh, so this All of Us research program, as far as uh, the populations being studied, are, are we talking about a certain age group or how wide is that um, population that you all want to study? That's a great question, Manny. And like I said before, unlike other research programs where you have a very narrow range, like they may be looking for adults 18 to 65, or you have to have this condition and you can't have that condition. Right now, if you're 18 and older, no matter how old you are, as long as you're 18 and older, no matter if you have a health condition or not, you can enroll in the All of Us Research Program as long as you're able to provide an informed consent and, okay. and you're able to make a decision that you can understand what's being asked of you, you are able to enroll in the All of Us Research Program. So any adult 18 and older. Great, great. And very, soon, Manny, we'll be, yes. you know, in, in the very near future, we'll be opening that enrollment up to youth and children, which is going to be so important. So Dr. Watson, uh, we've been encouraging, um, you know, our listeners to participate in this research. Um, at the same time, uh, for someone who participates in this research, is there anything that they can also get back? What, what information they could get back by participating in the All of Us research program? That's a great question, Manny. There's, one of the things we have is like we call it return of value. What do participants get back in return when they participate? For example, we actually actually return ancestry information back to people. So if, the, if you decide that okay. you want to know about your ancestry, for example, as an African-American in this country, it was really a proud moment when I got back my ancestry data. And uh -huh. I learned that over 70% of my, my ancestry is West African. And, you know, mm -hmm. I knew that I see people on the streets who I see other West Africans who see me and they say, because of my facial features and my phenotype, the way I look, uh -huh. they assume that. But then to know that because mm -hmm. our program returned that ancestry information back to me was so important. And that's a lot of our participants love the fact that they'll get ancestry information returned back. But you also get some fun medical facts returned back to you uh -huh. on things like you may find out that, you know, I grew up hearing that I was lactose intolerant by my parents, but I didn't know that for sure, Manny. <laughs> I just, you know, they, I didn't know if that was the case. And then actually by participating in the All of Us Research Program, <laughs> I actually did find out that I was more likely to have a lactose. Uh, in, in, wow. you know, sensitivity. And there's even things like 
you know, whether you are able to have like a, a sensitivity, I mean, like you're able to more likely like things like cilantro, you know, I know mm-hmm. that's a fun fact. It may not have anything to do with the healthcare, but the other things that are a little bit more serious that we return back to people, Manny, is that if you have a, through our genetic analysis, if uh-huh. the program finds out that you may have a genetic mutation or some type of genetic risk factor that may put you at an elevated risk or other family members at an elevated uh-huh. risk for disease, we will return that information to you if you choose to receive it back. You have wow. to say, I want that information back. And if you do say you want that information returned to you, and there is what we call an actionable finding, uh-huh. Not only will we return that information, but we'll also connect you with a genetic counselor to talk to you about what that information means and how you can talk to your doctor about the information that you just got back to you. That is amazing, Dr. Watson. I'm glad I asked that question. I'm glad you asked it as well. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. For that reason alone, I, I know the, the, you know, the big, um, I'd say the, the big overall reason is I'm, I'm really, I really want more information you know, about us, right? Filipinos and, and of course the other minorities. That's so right. I'm going to join for that reason. But to know all of that, then I'm really more uh, that I will sign up. Is there any question that I didn't uh, think of to ask you that you would like to talk about, Dr. Watson, in relation to the All of Us Research Program? No, Manny, I think you covered it. You know, you're such a thoughtful <laughs> interviewer. You know, our partnership with the PNAA and Asian Health Coalition is so amazing that I just want to thank you all. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share about the importance of research, to share and describe yes. a little bit of what the All of Us Research Program is and how we hope that it can be a catalyst to develop innovative research questions to address health disparities. I'm very, very excited about this uh, program and I will sign up. I'm, I'm going to tell you that up front right now. I'm going to sign up. Um, and for our listeners, I hope that our conversations with Dr. Watson has inspired you enough. And, 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 and I hope that, you know, we've enlightened you about the importance of participating in this because it's all of us. It's, it's, it's all about including all of us so that we can be, be better served so that all of our uh, health issues can be better understood and obviously so that all of us could benefit from this. So that is all that we have for this episode. And I want to thank our guest, Dr. Karim Watson, our director, Rodney Cahudo, who edits and produces our podcast episodes, Carol Robles, PNAA Chair for Communications and Marketing, our advisor, PNAA Foundation President, Nancy Hoff, and our executive producers, PNAA President, Dr. Mary Joy Garcia Dia, and PNAA Executive Director, Carmina Bautista. Join us every week here on Rise Up. Until then, keep on rising. See you next week. This program is made possible through the NIH All of Us Research Program. PNAAF is a national collaborator of the Asian Engagement and Recruitment Corps launched by the Asian Health Coalition, which is a national community engagement partner for the NIH All of Us Research Program.